You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. This episode is powered by Invest Ottawa. This is Naomi here, and in celebration of International Women's Week, I've teamed up with the Invest Ottawa team to bring to you this podcast series that highlights leading women in Ottawa. This is the fourth episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am sitting down with the incredible Sunshine Tanasco. Sunshine, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I'm so honored to be speaking with you today and delving into your story a little bit more. So for everyone, uh, Sunshine is a First Nations mommy of four kids uh, who you may or may not hear (laughs) throughout the episode, and she's from Kitigan, Zibi, Anunashnabeg. Sunshine is a social entrepreneur, a clean water activist, and author who believes that business is an exciting place where people can create positive change. Sunshine launched Her Braids, which is her company, in 2015, which is a business that aims to create awareness about the issues of clean drinking water in First Nations communities through beaded pendants, workshops, and her children's book, Nibby's Water Song. Her Braids has committed to donating 10% of their profits to the David Suzuki Foundation's Blue Dot Movement, which is incredible. And she is also the CEO of Powwow Pitch, which aims to give Indigenous entrepreneurs the platform to showcase their entrepreneurial endeavors and a chance to win startup cash and mentorship as well. Sunshine hopes to cultivate a culture of entrepreneurship in Indigenous communities. So welcome. Welcome to The Power of Why. I'm really looking forward to everyone, you know, to hear more about the work that you do, your story, how you, how did we get here also, right? So, so thanks again for being here. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy to be here. I need to share whatever information that, that you are interested in knowing and whatever, however that looks. Beautiful. So if we can start, I love starting with the origin story question. So if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, how you grew up, where you grew up, take us away. Well, I grew up uh, an hour and a half from Ottawa in Kitigan-Zibi Anishinaabeg. I was raised by a single mom until uh, I was around 10-ish, 10, 11 years old. And then my mom met my stepdad and uh, I have two brothers who I am very close with. That's it. I had a a really beautiful upbringing. It was a very, um, you know, I was raised by my grandparents sort of on, on both sides who were actually sort of aunties and, and uncles and cousins and stuff. And so it really was a, a community uh, mm. ZB that raised me. And then I, I moved to uh, Hull, Ottawa uh, to go to university. So, so you took, you got your BA in theater a BA in English, and then also a BED at the University of Ottawa. And so, you know, I remember from our initial conversation, you talked a little bit about that whole period for you and and what it was like moving to, you know, a new city. So if you could share a little bit about those experiences, you know, take us back a couple years ago. Yeah, I was uh, really shocked when I moved off the reserve. I never really had to make friends because I grew up, I went to nursery and kindergarten, preschool, all my grade schools up until high school with the same group of people. I graduated and there was eight of us in our class on the res. And so I didn't really, you know, we just always knew each other. 
And when I moved off the reserve, I, I went straight to university and, oh man, I couldn't make friends for two years. It was really hard wow. um, coming from, you know, I think all my teachers for forever in elementary and high school, always, you know, on my report cards that I talk too much to um, coming to university and just not talking or having a really hard time because everyone looked so different everyone acts so different. They knew things that I thought were so smart and that I didn't think that I knew those things, which I guess I didn't. I just knew different things. And I didn't see myself in the, didn't see myself in the, you know, the classroom that I was in. So it was a very interesting, really challenging time, but luckily I'm pretty stubborn and I was determined uh, to get a Friggin university degree. So, and then that sort of, that sort of progressed. And I, I decided I wanted to be a teacher because I got pregnant uh, when I was 19 and had my first daughter at 20. So that was right in the middle of uh, university. So that was uh, another challenge too, but, uh, but in a, a good one. Yeah. I can't imagine not being able to kind of make friends for two years and in, in such a new environment too. And at that age as well. And so, you know, what was your, you know, why did you choose the University of Ottawa, first of all? And you mentioned that you wanted to become a school teacher, spend some time and work in education. And so was there, was there any particular reason? Like, what was your decision making of, you know, selecting these, these incredible programs? So I actually, I loved theater and I loved, we used to, in our community and we still do, we have lip sync competitions every year. And I love that. There was no real, like there wasn't a drama program. How do you do a drama program with such tiny numbers and all that stuff? So that's what I went to study in university and, and really loved it. Love the hands-on aspect and actually, you know, making shows, um, whether it's acting or costumes or lighting. I just really loved all of that. So I did a few plays. And then after my daughter was born, everything just shifted when she was born. Because as you know, like if, if you've ever been a part of a production, you're sometimes at the studio till one in the morning doing all kinds of things. You know, your days are really long and especially right before you're about to, to put on the production. And so I just, I didn't want to be away from this tiny little human that I loved so much. And so that sort of shifted me into uh, wanting to teach drama um, mm -hmm. where, you know, it was a little bit more stable. I come from a family of teachers uh, that just seemed like the realistic choice at the time. And so it was pretty easy for me to get uh, my bachelor of education right after because they just aligned so perfectly with, you know, all the courses that I had to take for theater. And then fast forward another year at the time it took uh, to get my uh, Bachelor of Education. And so that's sort of where, that's a direction I was going was to be a high school teacher. And I really did enjoy it for a short amount of time. I didn't teach for very long until um, I started Kami's, my, my first business. So that's, yeah. uh, and that's after I had my second daughter. Right. So you mentioned, you know, you had your you know, your child, you, you had a family, you know, you started your business, which, you know, for the audience was a baby moccasin business. And then, you know, it's funny. Um, I actually, I remember that pitch you did on Dragon's Den 
at the time that it went live. And when I was going back and, and, and learning more about you, I was like, wow, that was sunshine. And I didn't even realize. But can you share a little bit about that, that period in your life? And I'll have the, the pitch that you did on Dragon's Den linked for those who are interested in taking a look. Um, but you came onto the show, you pitched your business, what you were working on. So can you talk a little bit about what was the impetus of starting Quemies and, and what that, what that period was like for you? Yeah. It, and it honestly just started for funsies because I was making, um, my second daughter, uh, baby moccasins that I wanted to stay on. And so I brought them to, uh, the powwow one, one year. And just sort of on a whim, because I really, I absolutely actually didn't know anything about business. And, but I knew about uh, powwow vendors, right? And it's basically like a a pop-up shop, but we call it powwow vendors. And so I brought them to this woman that I, that I knew. And I think I had, I don't know, 10 pairs, which at the time that was like, oh my God, I need so many pairs of moccasins. It was sort of mind blowing. And I brought them to her and said, you know, I'll give you $5 for each pair you sell. Here you go. Absolutely. And I went back an hour later, something happened and I had to go home. I don't even recall what. And I went back to get to pick up my moccasins, but they were all sold. And so I was sort of mind blown. And as you know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but in my mind at the time, wow, it was an hour and all of these moccasins sold. And so I said, I think I'm onto something. And so I sort of did that all summer because I was teaching at the time and, you know, power season is all, all summer long. And so I did that at a few more pals and made more and more. And within such a short time, I was known as the moccasin lady, the baby moccasin lady. <laughs> and so I was like, that is so wild. Like, I think I'm actually onto something. And so uh, I decided to take the leap and said, I'm, I'm going to follow this because it, you know, it feels like it's something um, good and right. And it's just really exciting. And so I went, you know, I, I, I kind of just jumped into it and I went to the economic development officer in my community and she was an older lady. She's not there anymore and, and whatever that's irrelevant, but she told me, uh, no, everybody makes moccasins, go home and get ready for the craft fair at Christmas, like just completely brushed me off. And I was sort of, you know, taken aback thinking, wait, I see slippers in all these high end baby stores and all these places. Cause you know, at that time I was very, you know, I was pregnant with my third uh, baby. And I was like, why can't we do something like this? Like I make beautiful moccasins people want these moccasins it's clear like I actually can't keep up with how many people want these baby moccasins and so her flat out rejection for some reason uh put the fire under me to kind of show her I'll show you lady with that sort of attitude and um, I went on Dragon's Den on a whim I was um six days before my son was born. So I was like super duper pregnant and uh, went to Montreal, made the pitch. And, you know, they said, you know, I was just in a giant room with a bunch of wild entrepreneurs. And wow, I just fell in love with that energy. Everybody in there was just like pumped. And there was all kinds of things that I hadn't seen just in that room. And we watched everybody pitch and I went up and I did my pitch and they said, you know, uh, we don't usually say this, but we're going to, we'd like to invite you back. And we're only saying this because clearly you're very pregnant. So we need to know for scheduling. 
And then that was it. I went on Dragon's Den uh, maybe seven, eight weeks later. And then, uh, yeah, that's probably where you would have seen that. And I brought my son. So in the process, I'm just sort of rambling now, but so I had him maybe six days later and he was born with Down syndrome. And we later found out uh, cerebral palsy. But at the time, uh, you know, I didn't know we didn't do the scan or anything like that. So that was a real uh, life changing experience, you know, to have this little human who number one, babies are so dependent on you. But number two, like, who knows, like he has so many health concerns and all these other barriers, which the doctors freak me out about, you know, that was happening. And then six weeks later, it was time to go on TV. And it was like, okay, okay, really, in the grand scheme of things? Yes, Dragon's Den is super awesome. But it's my babies, like, you know, right. that is my number one forever prior. That is my job in life. That is what I need to do. And everything else is, is sort of secondary. Right. And so going on dragons, and I know a lot of people are like, weren't you nervous? Weren't you this? Yeah, I was absolutely. But I felt like at that time I was already going through so many things personally. First of all, I was postpartum. My boobs were leaking all over the place. <laughs> Um, everything was still sort of sore and uncomfortable that, you know, going on Dragon's Den, it wasn't as huge as it would be if I went on now, because, you know, things are stable in my life right now, that it would be way, like a way bigger deal. So it was only after once Dragon's Den aired many, many months later that I felt the impact and how, how great of an impact it had, not just on me, but on the indigenous community. And I just, I didn't, like, I knew it, you know, I knew it was going to be um, special, but I didn't think that it would be like a life game changer. Interesting. That's really interesting. You mentioned, for one, it's the funding aspect that comes out of those experiences, the exposure, just the conversations around it, but also mentorship, right? And so, you know, you mentioned one of the dragons has been a mentor in your life, you know, over the over the years and even to this day. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what role has mentorship played in your life and both personal life and then also as you've been able to grow that business? So I'd love for you to talk about the impact of mentorship. Yeah. So yes, you know, the, the money is great. The exposure is really what, uh, what was shocking about dragons. And, and the thing is they prepare you or they tried to prepare me in advance and said, you know, be ready, have lots of supply, do this. And I thought in my mind, you know, I had been working nonstop for four months to have inventory of baby moccasins and it was all sold out from when it aired. I believe it was like 8 p.m. hour time. I was sold out by midnight and I was just sitting in my basement crying because, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> Emails were just, you know, nonstop um, going all the time. And so that was super valuable, like just being able to like, suddenly everybody, not just in the smaller powwow community, but like everybody knew about Quemmies or for what, what felt like that for me. And then there was Brett Wilson who like, 
wow, you know, he invested in me, yes, financially, but it was more than that. It was him checking up on me. It was him sending me all kinds of places. Like, you know, if there was an event in Ottawa or Hamilton or wherever, he was like, I have uh, like two tickets with your name on it. If you want to go, I'll, I'll mail them to you. And I think this would be good for you to learn. So like, Absolutely. I would get in my car and go wherever. And just really, I don't even know if he knows the impact that he had on me. And I've reached out and told him, but like, I I don't know if words will ever be able to (laughs) express it, you know, and he'd email me and say, Hey, partner, how's it going? What? This human is messaging me, hey partner, how's it going? <sighs> Blow my friggin' mind. And so that was something really special to have someone, you know, who's obviously super business savvy and famous to take the time to do that and really empower me. That's what really led to Powwow Pitch is having someone believe in you. Because you know, when you have people who don't believe in you, whether, you know, I know it was her her beliefs, but you know, the economic development officer who just said, nope, nope, nope. And people are saying, nah, 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 because that's what they believe. For someone to look at what, you know, what you're doing and your passions and say, hell yeah, I'm behind you. Wow, someone believes in what I'm doing? Like amazing. And not only that is going to be a cheerleader and champion it, like, why can't we do this for our people? And so I didn't even know before I went on Dragon's Den, I didn't know what a pitch was. I had seen a few episodes, but like, I didn't know that was called pitching. I didn't know so many things. I didn't know what wholesale was. You know, they sent me, I was researching. They were like, what's the valuation of your company? And I'm like, hello, Google. What does valuation mean? Like, I have no clue how to like do any of this. And so, you know, I think all of the trial and error and everything, the process that I went through, I'm like, people need to know this. And why isn't this information readily available? Like, why do I have to Google so damn much and go down so many rabbit holes to find all this stuff out? And so, yeah, mentorship in that sense, knowing that you can count on someone to ask someone who's actually been there and who's actually started something is so valuable and important. And I can't, um, like, I can't thank him enough. And that's for work stuff. I think mentorship takes on so many roles and so many different, I have so many different mentors throughout my life, whether that's parenting mentor, there are some women in my life who I just look up to how they parent their children. And I'm like, wow, I really should do what they do. And then there's, you know, friends, mentors, and then there's, you know, a a balance mentor. I feel like there's so many different, for me anyways, I have so many different mentors for different aspects of my life. So well said. And I actually, I didn't realize that that was the impetus for you starting Powwow Pitch which really started as a a nine month project, you know, and I think it's been over five years at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're going on six right now. That's incredible. And so I would really love for us to, so for the audience, uh, powwow pitch, what I love about it also is that you support folks at all stages of their business, right? Whether they're starting out on their entrepreneurial journey, whether they want to take their business to new levels or just to connect, you know, and network and support other Indigenous entrepreneurs. So if you could tell us a little bit more about how this came to be and 
what I also find very beautiful, <laughs> I won't go on and on, but what I also find very beautiful is that the people who helped bring this to life kind of flocked to you. And it's pretty incredible the way that you describe how all of the pieces came together for Powwow Pitch to be possible. So yeah, please tell us like the, the story behind behind the organization. Yes, I was working with Indigenous women. I had a, an employer. I just thought, you know, someone came up to me and said, you know, there's pitch competitions, like everybody has these pitch competitions. And that blew my mind, because I didn't know that. And I was working with Indigenous entrepreneurs. And so that sort of sparked my curiosity. And, and I said, I'd like to do that. His name was Graham. And he just sort of appeared out of nowhere. I can't even recall because it was that long ago now. Anyways, long story short, I got fired from an organization because I was trying to do to start powwow pitch. And I was like, okay, I think this could be so beneficial. Like, really, like it helped me. I think I could do this. This is going to be great. I was super excited. And I got fired, I would say three weeks before powwow pitch was going to launch. And so now, obviously, that is a blessing, because then it was my project, right? Whereas it would have belonged to uh, the organization if that had come to fruition there. And so powwow pitch, I basically had a few short weeks to put together everything again with no sponsorships. So imagine just like, okay, you, you just got fired. You have four children. You're a single mom and you now want to give $8,500 in prizes. How are you going to do that? Literally, like, how are you going to make this happen? That's ridiculous. But as much as I guess it had, I had that same, I don't know, fire. I don't know which, yeah. what word to describe it, but the now lady, I'm going to show you that this can happen and that this is going to help people. So I was determined to make this project happen. And I don't even know how or why, but everybody who had said they would be a part of the project for a national organization, right. All came back and agreed to be a part of it for this sort of made up idea. There's no reason. Yeah. I couldn't, I can't even explain it to this day. And so everybody who showed up, showed up and volunteered their time. And we found the $8,500 to be able to give in cash prizes to the community. And then the rest I paid sort of tiny little honorariums out of my own pocket, whether it was like, I wanted a photographer because I wanted someone to document it. I, so I couldn't afford anything big, but okay, this, and I can only afford this, but can you do this for this amount? And people were, people just showed up because they wanted to be a part of it. And then after the first year, it was only supposed to be at the time I was like, okay, so this, this is the first, I had no vision sort like for the future. It was just like, I'm doing this right now. And then the outcome was everybody was emailing me after the fact and, you know, saying how they wish they would have tried it, but they were too scared because they hadn't done it before and how it helped. And I really felt the impact right away from not just the pitchers, but also the mentors as well, because we had a beautiful group from Ladies Who Lunch who came and volunteered their time and they ended up spending the whole day at the powwow and, and learning as well. And at first they were like a non-Indigenous group. And now we're, we're sort of at a stage where, you know, we're having Indigenous judges, we're having more Indigenous uh, mentors. And so the whole circle is more, um, it's, it's growing. Beautiful. And so what does it look like to engage with powwow pitch? So is it a couple 
you know, days out of the year where you host a pitch competition, you have your judges there. I know, obviously, for the past while, you've had to do it online. So can you tell us a little bit about what that transition has been like and also how this is all structured as well? Yeah, so originally it was just uh, once a year at the powwow at the summer solstice, which was the biggest powwow in the area. And basically it was just one all day event. So, you know, the, the 25 pitchers show up, they do their first round of pitches for one minute. We narrow it down to 10, the top 10 get mentored over the course of three hours by three different uh, mentors. And then they come back and they give uh, a three minute pitch with some Q and A, and then that's it. We get to give away money. So that was the mm -hmm. original format. And for a long time, I, I didn't want to grow it. And people would come up to me and said, whenever you're ready. And I just, uh, I, I didn't want that time commitment because I was, you know, I had her braids and I would also do other stuff for, for powwow pitch, whether it's workshops or boot camps or, or organize a conference. And then last year or the year before, right when we were about to, to launch, I decided it's time to, it's time to take it national and I've done it enough times. And you know, the first year you're so stressed because you, you forget get little things like, oh, right, I need name tags. Oh, right, I need a list. Oh, an event, right? Wait, now I need that, like, just so many things that, you know, if you've never done it, you don't know until you learn it. And so last year, I was more comfortable. I'm like, I can do this. And it's not stressful. And it's not like, it's just fun now. So I'm ready to, to grow a little bit. And so the plan was to take it to five different, uh, five of the biggest powers across Canada and just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and just have different people, right? Enter COVID. Okay. So <laughs> we had more funders lined up and everything was going I don't know, as smooth as possible. And then uh, COVID happened. And so everybody was just like, wait, urge pumping the brakes as an entrepreneur who like, I don't have a regular paycheck. I, when I work, I get paid type of deal. You don't want anybody pumping the brakes. You need, need to be able to pivot fast and hard. And if that doesn't work, pivot again and again and again. And so luckily they all still jumped on board, you know, and I think there was a shift to online and luckily they said, okay, let's do it uh, online. Now I have zero, like, I'm so terrible with tech. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm shocked we made this call today. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. I wouldn't ever say that that's a strength of mine. I can do it, but I don't do it well. Like it takes me far too long to do simple tasks. And so having to bring on different people with those specialties, like, where do you find these people? I don't know, but they appeared. <laughs> so <laughs> we just ask a few people. And so taking it from just being in person, which I love, like, I love being in the energy and the same space as entrepreneurs. Like I love running powwow pitches to then having to be sort of removed from that is sort of how I felt when we were organizing it. But again, the right people showed up right when right when it was needed and really pull through and we were able to reach indigenous entrepreneurs that we wouldn't have been able to reach if we would have went in person so as long as you had you know wi-fi or internet and a computer not even a computer a phone you were able to participate and so that was really awesome and there were so many other silver linings about taking it online that i don't ever see myself stopping 
that part of it. You know, I'd like to go back to to being the in-person pitch competition that we started out with, but I really did value the process Mm -hmm. and seeing people online and just being more accessible. Like that was important. Yeah. You did mention that you reached more people through the online setting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be doing that again. And, and we're, we're expanding again a little bit more and we're starting a little bit earlier with the lessons learned and, and just really thinking back to, you know, when I was running Quemmies, the baby moccasins, just thinking what would have helped me the most. That's what I always try to think of. What would have helped me the most? What did I think was super impactful? And so everything that powwow pitches is going back to putting myself back there and and also talking with the entrepreneurs and asking. What do you want to see? Exactly. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend, take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. That's amazing, Sunshine. There's something to be said about the right people, like even though if you don't necessarily know where to find them, that with the intention that you had and the vision that they found themselves to you, right? And even simple conversations with people in your network and saying, hey, do you know anyone who could do X, Y, and Z? And for them to show up the way that they did, you said, you know, I don't know why they did at one point. (laughs) And it's because of you. That's exactly why all of them showed up and the vision and the people that you wanted to help and support and continue to support on their their entrepreneurial journey. So I just want to commend you for that. That's a big deal. And, you know, I'd love to shift gears a little bit into the work that you're doing with her braids. There is a huge clean water crisis taking place in Canada and has been for a very long time. And you've noted that the longest running water advisory has been in effect for 25 years, which is insane. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you realized that this was an issue And what were some of the, you know, initial steps that you took to address it? And then we can, you know, sort of lean into, to her braids, how you got involved with the David Suzuki Foundation and and all of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, for a very long time, I, I didn't even realize that it was an issue, like living it. It was, you know, in our community, how it's handled is you get those big blue jugs of water delivered to your house. So, you know, think old school milkman. Uh, but we have new school watermen who come and just literally put the jugs on your 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 doorstep. And it's based on how many people are living in your house and on all that stuff. So it, it was just that simple. You know, you accept things when you're younger and when you don't know any different, like that's just the way it is, right? And then when I moved to the city and for a very long time, and I still sometimes catch myself doing that is asking people wherever I am, uh, because I, you know, pre COVID would travel a bit for, for my work. I would ask people all the time, like, 
oh, can I drink your water? And didn't realize why everyone looked at me so strange when I asked that question, except for when you're in a First Nations community in Canada. And they don't look at you any different. They know that's an acceptable question to ask. Acceptable. I'm going to use air quotes for that, for that word. And, you know, but, you know, they've usually lived it or know people in different communities who live it. And that's just a common question. That is a ridiculous common question that shouldn't be an issue. And so what happened was um, I used to work in Ottawa, so I would travel every day. And so one day a pipe broke in Yatno and a water, a water pipe, and they were announcing it on the radio station. And for, so for the first time, whatever, you know, people were like, okay, uh, what's a boil water advisory? Okay. They don't know what a boil advisory is, whatever, you know? And then the second hour, they announce it again. And then I'm at work and my radio is going. And the third hour, there was such a sense of urgency about this water pipe that broke and that, oh my gosh, they can't drink their water. What are they going to do? A complete catastrophe. And I sat there and thought, you can still flush your water. Like you still have access to a washer and dryer. You still have access to this. You still have, but your water is not clean at this time. And I said, why isn't this radio station talking about our reserve, Kitagon Zibi, every hour on the hour? And why, why aren't people calling in with this sense of urgency? We haven't had clean water for, I don't even know how long at that point. And I mean, probably even before, but it it had only started getting tested. Do you know what I mean? And so that blew my mind and really just pissed me off about this double standard. And so I wrote this big passionate letter to the David Suzuki Foundation. And I took statistics from Indigenous Affairs website, from Health Canada's website. And so the government knows these statistics. I'm I'm not going to make these statistics up. I don't know them. I'm not like I'm just one human, right? And they ended up writing me back. First, I got the the generic, like, we'll respond to you in four to six weeks. We get a lot of emails. But they ended up writing back right away that same day and said, we'd love to do something. We're just waiting for an Indigenous person to take the lead, basically. And so that's where Her Braids was born because I said, I want to do a fundraiser through these beaded pendants because, you know, I know how to bead. And that's, you know, sort of where I had come from with Quemmies and all my experience with that. I said, oh, I'm going to do a, a, a nine month fundraiser. We're now almost six years in to this and, you know, we're still it's transformed. So now it's not just a nine month fundraiser. It's not, you know, it's ongoing. Now I was fortunate enough to give workshops all over the place, all across Canada to talk about this clean water issue and try and do it in a positive way. And then um, I wrote a children's book because all the, at all these workshops, often it was with teachers and they'd say, you know, do you have anything for, for little kids? Because I, mm-hmm. my workshop started at grade four up and I finally said, okay, I'm going to write this children's book. And, you know, so we can talk about this in a positive way. So I wrote Nabi's water song. Uh, Nabi means water in Anishinaabemowin. And it's also the name of my 15 year old daughter. Beautiful. Yeah. So I wrote this with her name in it and yeah, that's pretty much it. It just sort of took on a life of its own. And here we are. And, you know, I came across a post that you made on Instagram where you said, quote, I've learned so much over the past five years about 
all the other First Nations communities in Canada that, that face the same issue. And I've come to realize that it's much more than just clean water. I continue to learn about systemic racism. It's overwhelming and it's all interconnected. You know, for those of you who are listening, all of the links to Sunshine's work and the, you know, the businesses that she runs, her braids, it's all going to be located in the show notes for you to check out. I really like the slogan of her braids. It's called Be an Accessory to Change. And what I really admire about you, Sunshine, is that you've started, you know what I mean? Like, even as you mentioned and as you talked about your experience starting Powwow Pitch and her braids and your very first business, you're like, I didn't really know all of the steps that I needed to take to make this happen. But what's important to realize is that you did take those steps and you didn't overthink it. You just went, okay, I'm going to do this small thing that I know that I can do. And that led to other doors opening up for you. And so what has been what would you say, like looking back on all of your experiences, what has been like the best investment, whether it's time or money or resources, what has been the best investment that you've made into yourself? Oh, wow. That is a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. It's taking the time for myself has been the best investment with Quemmies, I overworked and just completely stressed myself out and it bled over into so many, into all areas of my life. But creating these boundaries, investing in time for myself has been the most empowering. It pays off ridiculously time and time again. And I think I'm getting better at that because I show up usually for whether it's podcasts or workshops or anything else, I, I show up in just better energy mm-hmm. um, and, and positive energy. I think I've always been a positive person, but it just, it's, it just seems easier. Like the flow just happens easier. Mm-hmm. I I 100% agree. That's like one of the most amazing investments that you can make is to set those boundaries and, show up the way that you know you do show up in every other aspect of your life and so i'm really grateful that you took time out of your day to sit down with me and talk a little bit about your your story and everything that you've been working on is there what's like what's one interesting thing maybe happening in the world that has your that has your eye right now and that you're really focused on bringing you know attention to I mean, my eyes are always uh, focused on Indigenous entrepreneurs um, and Indigenous empowerment and clean water. I think for me, how I view it, it's all related. You know, when you brought up systemic racism, I didn't even know what that meant five years ago. Um, And, you know, I go back and often read, you know, things that I've said and I, I... from time to time, I get really into journaling and then I yeah. quit and then I get to it again. And I read some of the things I said, you know, and I'm like, wait, what? Why did I say that? That was such a, you know, uh, a juvenile perspective. I think I have a tendency to have rose colored glasses for the most part, but I, I'm learning to see other people's realities a little more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and still keep my rose colored glasses ready 
at any given moment to, to put them on to save my mental health. Yeah. So I don't even know what question you asked. I just went talking. <laughs> what did you ask me? Naomi? <laughs> like, like what's something, what's something that you're focused on right now? And that's, we, we know through the work that you do that clean water activism is very important to you and it's embedded in the work that you do, right? At a fundamental level. And so is there anything else that you would love to share before we wrap up the episode? Well, I think right now, I, you know, the pandemic is weighing heavily on, on everybody's spirits. Right now, my, my, my goal is for, to find as much balance as I can between myself, my children, and the work that I do, all it, whether it's mind, body, or spirit. So, you know, we just talked about taking time for yourself. Every single day, I try and move a little bit. Not a lot, but just get my body moving. Keeping sight of the situation that we're all facing right now, and just to keep as balanced as I possibly can, and being okay with on the days when I'm not so balanced, and knowing that, okay, as long as that's the ultimate goal, that it'll be okay. Yeah, that's so well put. I wanted to thank you again, Sunshine. For folks who want to connect with Sunshine, the work that she's doing with Pow Wow Pitch, with her braids, all of the links to where you can find them online will be in the show notes. So thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. You heard from Sunshine Tanasco, and it's your host, Naomi Haile. You can find the show notes at www.naomihaile.com. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to The Power of Why on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was powered by Invest Ottawa and their 2021 International Women's Week initiative. To learn more about the week and how you can get involved, visit www.investottawa.ca forward slash IWW.